Before we get into today's episode, we'd like to just let you know that there are some conversations surrounding suicide and statistics around suicide in certain professions. So listener discretion is advised. Welcome to What Messes With Your Head. Today, we are talking careers, specifically careers after uni. What does that mean? We're going to look at some statistics from the ABS. We're going to discuss Steph and my own experiences with our careers. And we're going to ask the question, what does the word career even mean in this day and age? Is it the same thing that it was 50 years ago? I guess we'll find out. Steph and myself are both students of the University of Adelaide and employees, so this is produced by the university. However, all opinions on the show, either from guests or ourselves, are our own and not reflecting the views of the university itself. I'm going to pass over to Ali Buckskin with our Welcome to Country, and then we'll get into the discussion. For over 60,000 years, this always was and always will be Ghana country. This land was never ceded. I walk proudly in the footsteps left by my ancestors, the Ghana, Narunga and Warungu people, the traditional owners of the lands that I'm speaking on today. I honour and respect my elders past, present and those that are emerging. I'm connected to these land, skies and waters through those who came before me and I will continue the guardianship of this country for those who come after me. I pay respect to all Aboriginal people from all nations listening today and the cultural authority that you bring from your country. I acknowledge my Papa Buckskin and on behalf of him and all the Ghana people, I welcome you here today. Yakanantalia Yungarantalia, Nainari Ali Katanya Buckskin, Naitangi Wilta Ghana Naranga Nanki, Marawachanga Ghana Miena, Naimani Napudni Ghana Yatana Wangandi, Mani Pudni Natalia. Hey, you're listening to What Messes With Your Head, a podcast about breaking stigmas and just having general chats about life and what we think needs to be talked about a little bit more. Hey everyone, welcome to What Messes With Your Head and today we're talking about careers after uni and we've got a few things to talk about. Uh, We might start off with some statistics that we found uh, but also we'll just go into a bit of a discussion about our own personal experience and how that may or may not be similar to what you guys experience after uni. So Steph, you with us today? Absolutely, I am. (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) Fantastic. Fruit fan? No, I don't have a pun for that. Maybe by the end of the episode. Um, we'll workshop it. <laughs> you will workshop it. All right, let me just spit some statistics at you. <laughs> um, I took these from the Australian Bureau of Statistics last night. Some key stats from October 2022. The current unemployment rate is at 3.4%. That is down from 5.5% pre-COVID. Uh, and then during COVID, it actually hit as high as 7.5%. So, um, yeah, that was pretty bad. But, like, for trends purposes, let's pretend COVID didn't happen. <laughs> We're actually... <laughs> well, so, okay, so before COVID, it was, like, the 5, 5.5-ish. And then COVID happened, and we all expected that that unemployment rate to go up, and now it did. And it did. And then it's, yeah, right back down to, what, 3.5? Yeah, we've recovered in the best way possible. That's, yeah, 3.5 down from 5.5. That's a whole 2% uh, less. And I know that can seem like a small number, but uh, when it comes to unemployment rate, uh, 1% means a lot for like a lot of chain of effects for people's livelihoods and general well-being. So Mm. that's very good. Now, if we just look at counts of employees by industry, 
uh, as of August 2022, uh, if we're looking at the 10 highest, it looks like the top one is uh, healthcare and social assistance. Then we've got, after that, retail trade, and then professional, scientific, technical services. Then you're going into construction, and then education. So those are the areas that have the most employees in those. Yeah, yeah, the most employees, that's Mm. right. And there's no huge jumps other than (laughs) from healthcare and social assistance to everything else. It's about (laughs) not quite double, but almost double. So yeah, Um, you know, people talk about tech taking over a lot of jobs. Hasn't quite taken over caring for people yet. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I guess that's a good thing. (laughs) Probably a good thing. So just on that, uh, side note, I went to Sushi Train the other day. Mm -hmm. They had a, I swear, it was like an autonomous drone robot that carried trays. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I like lost my, I don't know what I'm allowed (laughs) to say on the show, but um, it was, I lost my marbles (laughs) at this. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I like, I actually, me and my uh, partner had to swap seats so I could get a better view of the robot. (laughs) I like, I knew exactly where you were going to go with that. (laughs) The second you said sushi train, I was like, it's going to be talking about that little like server dude. (laughs) It is. It's so good. Unfortunately, it seems to stop working by the time I was looking at it. But the future is bright. We may be scared of technology, but we have like giddy little like wally things. Mm -hmm. Does it have like a little face on it? This one didn't know. This oh. one was just a faceless set of trays. <laughs> that <walked laughs> That's actually kind of terrifying. <laughs> it is. I was half expecting it to say like exterminate. Yeah, some, yeah. Some kind of Dalek, Doctor Who thing. <laughs> so anyway, um, if we go to then the lowest 10 industries, uh, as in lowest number of employees, uh, the absolute lowest group is electricity, gas, water and waste services. <laughs> so these are the people who probably are doing the jobs that make most of our lives possible mm. <laughs> and easier, uh, but we've got the least amount there. I, I couldn't comment on why that is, whether it's just not many people want to do it or whether it's we've got a lot of kind of automation there. I'm not sure. Mm. Um, second to lowest, you've got information, media, and telecommunication. Then you've got arts and recreation services. Then uh, rental, hiring, and real estate. And then interestingly, above that is mining. So I would have thought that mining would have a lot more mm. people in it. Um, and this is Australia-wide, isn't it, Liz? Yeah, this is Australia-wide. So this is the ABS. Um, having said that, you know, I say top 10, top lost. I can't remember how many there was in total, but I think it was maybe like 25 or 30. So we've covered probably most of the list. Yeah, yeah true. <laughs> um, but I recommend if you're interested checking the st- stats for yourself um, just on the ABS website. All right, Steph, maybe we'll look at some of the stats and uh, resources that you found and then see, you. see what conclusions you have found about our world. <laughs> Thank you kindly. Um, I did take a look at some information from ABC News and they've gotten some stats from university guides and things like that from Department of Education and Training. Yeah, right. Um, And that basically talks about a bit more about the relationship between university and employment rather than just like employment rates themselves. Yeah. Um, So in this, it's talking about the lowest median um, graduate salaries per degree and the highest median graduate salaries. The lowest ones tend to be pharmacy, creative arts, communications, tourism, and unfortunately, veterinary science. Oh, wow. Yeah. That one, I just, pharmacy and vet science, the others kind of make a bit of sense to me, but those two just always hit me a lot because it's just vet science is like a doctor. Yeah. You know? You know what's interesting? Uh, I don't know 
correlation between this, but I've heard that vet science is one of the industries with the highest number of suicide mm. rate as well. Mm. So it's, uh, and I don't know whether maybe people have cottoned onto that, just mm. the amount of stress that goes on in that job. Yeah. And po- maybe that's led to decrease, but. Yeah. I, I'm not sure about that, like in terms of decrease, but I know a few people who are employed in that area okay. and they, um, it's just really hard because <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. kind of like it's um, you have to do everything in that sort of a job, you know. It's You have yeah. to do looking after the pets and then dealing with people who don't know how to look after the pets yeah. and then also like just general reception work and yeah. <laughs> all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. And it's just for, for a job where everyone expects your work to be for peanuts pretty much. Everyone who comes in is like, oh, Hard, you know, <laughs> and just what do make you mean? it cheaper. You get to play with animals all day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> when really it's just like doctor level of of knowledge and um, care for your pets. Mm. And and yeah, apparently in that industry, and from all by all accounts that I know of, a lot of people don't understand that. Yeah, you know, it'd be interesting. I haven't heard any stats on this, but I wonder if it's also one of the most rewarding industries for people as well. If mm. they, you know. Um, like it's like with people who go and become doctors, who, if they're actually like willing to put in that time and the effort, and they actually genuinely like care about the system <laughs> and everything, yeah. um, like it can be incredibly rewarding for mm. so many reasons. Like I wonder if that's the same. Again, this is just anecdotally because I don't know the stats for that, but mm. from what I know, the people who are doing like vet services as an actual vet that you go and take your pets to. Yeah. Not so much. Not as much like career reward. Okay. But the people who are doing like conservation yep. um, or researching kind of more about like history of, of evolution and that sort of a thing, yep. things like that, doing a bit more of a um, like helping or, or conserving or just trying to help like <laughs> yeah. our knowledge in that area. They're the ones who tend to be a bit more yeah. uh, happy in their careers, which is very interesting to me. That brings up a really interesting point, um, which is in a previous life, I was doing some life coaching stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I ran my own business for a little bit. But um, it, part of the kind of process I'd go through with clients is kind of trying to distinguish between like your career goals and what you would like your life to actually look like, mm. like your week, your day-to-day kind of thing. Yeah. Because I think part of the thing is like, if you look at, you know, back in the old days, the 80s, mm-hmm. where everyone wanted to be a rock star, <laughs> um, <laughs> like people would go like, yeah, I want to be a rock star kind of thing. Like I want to, you know, have all that fame. Mm. But it's like, then you've got to ask, all right, do you want to actually live the lifestyle of a rock star? Mm. And a lot of people, I suspect, didn't want to, which is why you had then a lot of rock stars ending up like going off the rails and not being able to cope and, yeah. you know, all the kind of mental stuff that goes with that. Mm. So, like, it's my personal belief. It's one thing that's very important when you're like looking at your career and what you want to be doing is like, do you want to be doing that day to day? So, there's like working with animals is good, but how do you want to be working with animals? Yeah, Probably exactly. conservation is maybe generally a happier experience. And Yeah, true. That, that's actually a really good point. And like on the note of people being happier with conservation, that sort of a thing, I guess you do a degree to help animals because you like animals. Whereas if you're doing like if you're a vet and you're <laughs> you're helping people's pets, 90% of your job is probably dealing with the people. Well, that's right. That's right. But, you know, for certain people that might be what they want to be doing or, oh, they, yeah. or they, they enjoy that the rewards enough that it makes it mm. good enough. So 
we definitely need vets out there. So please, oh, yeah, yeah. Please, <laughs> don't listen to this. Just be like, no. Don't leave. <laughs> Come back. <Yeah. laughs> On a more positive note, yeah. um, highest median graduate salaries. Say that five times faster. <laughs> highest median graduate salaries. It feels like if I say this in the mirror, will my income go up? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, I really wish it would. Yeah, I'll try it tonight. Great. Cool. Let us know how that goes. Um. <laughs> Just like your partner walks in while you're doing that. <laughs> it's like I'm trying to make us more money. <laughs> Look, if we both do it, then we both get more money. It's great. <laughs> exactly. There we go. Um, okay, highest median graduate salaries. Um, these are generally not a surprise. Um, dentistry, medicine, engineering, law, uh, and teaching. Teaching is an interesting one to me. Mm. Um, I kind of expected that to be a bit lower, but... It doesn't seem to be too bad. I'm glad to hear that, actually, as someone who's worked in a few schools. Mm. Uh, the amount of, like, a lot of those occupations you listed do a lot of overtime, mm. <laughs> and it's kind of almost built into it. But I saw it firsthand with education, how you kind of have people do overtime to kind of do a better job because they're genuinely passionate about it. Yeah. A lot of teachers are genuinely passionate, but then the system kind of ends up relying on that overtime Mm. And then so then they have to do more overtime on top of that. So, yeah. And so, you know, then that requires the kind of like school or whatever to kind of put checks and balances in place to protect people. But it's really nice to hear they're actually being <laughs> financially yeah. <laughs> rewarded for that. So Yeah. That's actually a really good point. I didn't even pick up on that in my head when I was listing that. Yeah. Overtime is a big thing. Mm. And like self-care and all that sort of stuff as well. That's really, really something you don't think of. <laughs> Once you leave uni, I guess you're just like it's fine. Just nose the grindstone; it'll be, it'll be fine. That's nope. right. That's why you've got us here at the Wellbeing Hub. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> and what messes with your head <laughs> to think about your well-being on behalf of you? Yeah. So you don't. Have to. <laughs> so you don't have to. <laughs> no, please do. Yeah. Please have a think about what works for you. Please. <laughs> yeah. Interestingly, though, to note with all of these, um, these are the graduate graduate salaries. So it doesn't necessarily mean that the salary will go up as you progress in that career. This is just once you graduate from a degree in that field, what you can sort of expect as a, a salary. So like on the note of teaching versus medicine, you know, your graduate salary might be around about like the 60, 70,000 mark for both of those. But obviously we know that in medicine, if you specialize and specialize and specialize, you can, you know, get up to like 200K, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but teaching, I'm not so sure that you can even get to that level. <laughs> yeah. You probably then start looking at kind of management positions in education. Yeah. And maybe the um, career progression isn't quite as obvious in those cases as well. Yeah. I know, uh, you know, if you're an educator, you can then... If it's like you're a high school educator, you can then look at going to things like the SACE board and mm. uh, like, you know, principals of schools and, you know, kind of actually designing the c curriculum that then gets passed to all the schools. And mm. It's probably more uh, lateral jumps. Yeah, <laughs> like exactly. Like yeah. going into like politics and education and stuff like that, maybe. Mm. I don't know. So like not quite teaching kids, but just Teaching the teachers. Teaching the teachers. Mm. Oh gosh, that sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> So this is all in an ABC article and it kind of it discusses those those points a bit and has a few more stats in there. But basically in the end of it, the whole question is whether it's worth doing a uni degree. And 
in general, they've said that in terms of money, it's not necessarily worth it. Um, you can probably get similar paying jobs depending on what your job is, of course, as well, um, whether or not you did a, a uni degree or or whether you've just gone straight out of school or did um, like a Cert four in something or something like that. Yeah. Um, in saying that, though, and I think we'll both agree on this, is that it is worth it if you're doing something that you're interested in or passionate <laughs> about, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, some sometimes people' passion is money, mm. which is, you know, fun. Everyone's mm. into different things. Um, that's not a huge driving force for me. Yeah. Um, that's why I became a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not a lawyer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, look, we can get more into that later. I think there's mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot when we talk about our own kind of careers and stuff like that. But yeah. um, you got some other uh, sources there as well? Um, yeah. More about the money side of it and less um, Australia specific as well. Okay. Um, it's a very similar conclusion of the money that you earn once you finish your degree isn't necessarily going to very quickly pay off um, debts for actually getting a uni degree, that sort of a thing. Interestingly to note is that some areas in the world have very low cost of education, like higher education. Mm. Um, some areas like the UK um, have similar systems to us, which is just like a loan repayment sort of system once you start earning over a certain threshold. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we know that there's um, like America and that sort of thing that don't necessarily have yeah, the to US. pay out of pocket pretty much unless you get a scholarship for things. Yeah. We, we are generally very lucky here, I think. Mm. Um, I know university used to be free, you know, 50 years ago here, uh, but and I think is still is at some, some places in Europe. But, you know, when you look at places like the US and mm. just like the issues that <laughs> come with student loans and everything there, yeah, uh, especially for people who don't complete degrees, you know, end up in like the worst situation. Mm. Um, over here, it is, we're very lucky that, you know, you can do degrees and generally multiple degrees as well. Yeah. Um, and not have to pay it back until you're kind of pretty well off, generally speaking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> generally. Um mm. Yeah. The other thing to note is as well in that side of things is uh, international students. While we get hex debt and that sort of thing, and we can get hex loans and and those sorts of things, international students aren't eligible for that, Um, which is also really sucks for international students who are coming over here. So, um, And that just adds another level of pressure to, to those students as well, which is just a whole other thing to think about and probably feeds into whether or not something is worth it. Yeah, that's right. Well, it's like for both international students and then if we look at the US system, for example, where it's like you're taking such a big risk in some ways. Um, mm. Like you almost have your one shot at the degree that you can choose and then you don't have kind of the luxury of doing multiple degrees because, you know, the first one was just a trial out to see what it was doing. Yeah. Whereas I wonder whether we have more... I wonder if we have more people doing more degrees in countries like Australia. Mm. Um, I don't know this, but I, in my experience, my first degree was in computing and multimedia, which I like to say is essentially like an arts degree for computer nerds because <laughs> it's like so broad and versatile, which is like great, but it's like non-specific. So you're not going into one specific thing. Mm. Um, whereas I'm now 
a student here at Adelaide Uni doing uh, sonic arts and music composition, yeah. which is, it is almost like one of the subsections of the subsections of that multimedia degree. Yeah. It's only through like my life experience that I've managed to narrow down to this point. Mm. Whereas, you know, if I was in the US, I would have that huge student loan from the first one mm. that I probably wouldn't even be able to justify coming to try the second one. So. Yeah. Although that is really interesting that you say that because it, it kind of makes sense to do the more generalist sort of degree and then finish that and then kind of figure out through experience and that sort of thing what you want to hone in on much more specifically and go and study that specifically afterwards. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Like I wouldn't recommend it for everyone. But, you know, it, it was funny. Um, while I was doing my uh, multimedia degree, um, I was working out of school at the same time and they actually asked me to like essentially give career advice to the year 12 students there because I was apparently one of the six success stories or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I remember like talking to the year 12 students and seeing just how stressed out they were about like which degree they should pick. Yeah. Like, like visibly, visibly stressed. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember just talking to them being like, yeah, look, I remember feeling that same way. But now that I'm there, now that I was there at uni, it's like, yeah, look, most people at uni aren't fully sure what they're doing and they're still figuring it out and they're trying things out. And mm. it's, uh, I think that's a narrative that should hopefully become more common. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, you don't want to waste your time and money and future hex and, you know, uh, tax money and all that kind of stuff. But Yeah, of course. But in saying that, there aren't many people I know who have gone and finished a uni degree or even started a uni degree and stayed doing that uni degree the entire time like most people that i talk to have started something and at some point realize it's not for them and either moved to something else or taken a break or just done something else for a little while you know yeah yeah. it's not a linear progression and i think when you're in year 12 you really do think it is you think i'm going to do this degree and i'm going to be doing that for the rest like that career for the rest of my life yeah well, actually, that's a really good segue into, uh, I don't have the stats in front of me, but uh, there's definitely that trend of people changing careers more mm. more often throughout their lifetimes. Mm. I think last time I heard it, which was like probably like 10 years ago, it was like people were now switching careers like six times <laughs> during their life, Yeah, up from once, yeah. <laughs> like 30 <laughs> years beforehand or 50 years beforehand. Mm. Hi, it's me again with some interesting tidbits. So you may or may not have heard this one stat, which is that the average person changes their career about seven times in their lifetime. If you've heard of that, now you know it's complete and total rubbish. It it might be vaguely true, but there's no statistics to back that up. And someone just made it up one time and said, hey, this sounds like a good statistic. However, some actual statistics uh, from the Australian Bureau of Statistics from February 2021 to February 2022, about 1.3 million people changed their jobs, which is the highest like job mobility since 2012. And that's like, that's about 9.5% of people who are currently employed. And the biggest reason they reported that was because they wanted to change or just to find a better job. So it wasn't necessarily they were forced out of their job or anything like that. They were just looking for better opportunities, which again, people just wanting to change their careers or change what they're doing. And away from Australia, in America, there's been a few surveys uh, indicating that around half of people want to change their career at any given time. They want to change, like fully change their career. This isn't just like they want to change their job or like grass is a bit greener on the other side. 
And the average age for people to change their career, really surprising to me, 39 years old. So yeah, your career will probably change throughout your lifetime. Yeah, definitely that thing. I guess we have a lot more freedom now. And with that comes, I guess, some kind of responsibility. Mm. There's always that trade-off between, you know, actually like making that commitment to your trade or whatever and getting good and if you want to kind of progress down that career. But then there's also the, like we were talking about before with being like a vet or like conservation is Mm. you you kind of don't know what it's like until you do it most of the time. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And then you get to doing it and you may or may not realize that that's the thing that you're interested in or maybe move laterally to something like we we're talking about with teaching to something that's in that sort of general area, but in a different way, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, yeah, maybe go from like actually what people expect you to be doing to research yep. or something yep. along those lines as well. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting when I was talking about my multimedia degree being so broad, I do not regret doing it at all because mm. it's given me the ability to communicate with so many different types of people as well mm. and so many different like specialists in different departments. Yeah. Um, and I like I do a lot of work in the local video game industry mm. where you have artists, you've got musicians, you've got programmers, you've got you know web designers, you've got managers and like all of that stuff's touched on in the multimedia degree and mm. then so it's been really helpful I think to kind of dip my toes in that kind of stuff. Yeah. So then it's there's not not that communication barrier that there would otherwise be if we were all completely specialized in our own separate boxes. Yeah, yeah, you have a bit more like generalized information about those different areas. So it gives you a bit more of a jumping off point to like have conversations and actually help you with. It's interesting you mentioned that because similar sort of thing and I think we need we need to discuss like cuz I started off doing a nursing degree. Oh, and, so you were in the health sector where yeah. everyone else is. <laughs> yeah. I was following the crowd. Yep. Um, I did kind of start doing it because um, not necessarily because of job prospects because you're quite likely to get a, a job at the end of a nursing degree. That was definitely part of it. But I did start out doing it because I thought I would genuinely be good at it and I would enjoy it. And I really did. I really, truly did. But in saying that, when I was doing that, when I was on placements and things like that, um, I realized it wasn't necessarily the thing for me. I really did enjoy like learning about the science behind things, but not necessarily the horrific amounts of pressure <laughs> that's that comes with being in the health sector. But I know that's not the career for me, but I do not regret doing that degree at all. I mm-hmm. did two and a half years of a three-year <laughs> nursing degree. Yep. And um. I don't regret a single minute of it just because similar sort of thing, like the things that you learn from doing that sort of stuff. I learned, you know, how to talk to different people from so many different walks of life, mm. especially because um, when you're doing healthcare, a lot of people tend to be older than you, yep. especially if you're like 19, 20 when you're doing it, you know, yep. majority of patients you're going to see are going to be, you know, 35 and up, yep. um, especially like, you know, 60 and up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I I learned how to talk to those sorts of people and, and listen to them and advocate for people along with, you know, kind of just respecting the way that people live their lives. Like you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to live forever. So <laughs> some people would just um just live their life a certain way and then it's like, okay, cool. We'll just respect that. Yep. Even if it doesn't make sense to you, you know? And that like there were entire courses about that in the nursing degree and that sort of thing. 
um, and dealing with people with different mental health situations, dealing yeah, with yeah. people with different general health situations and different cultures and all that sort of a thing. Yeah, um, that's a big one. Yeah. And then also on the flip side, that was where I learned how to like get my, my voice a lot more and like uh, advocate great. for people. Yep. <laughs> so you can blame that, yeah. that for, for this. Um, I was much more quiet and timid throughout mm-hmm. high school. And yep. then, yeah, nursing just fully flipped that on its head because you have to. Yep. You absolutely have to. You can't be quiet and timid as a nurse. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know what's interesting? Uh, you talking about doing that helps you discover kind of like your values. Mm. Um, in my case, so like I've always been interested in music and kind of the arts as a hobby. And then like I started taking it more seriously. Mm. But I've also, you know, doing computing degree, I've also worked in IT mm. alongside this. IT's always been much more stable, much more income, kind of all that kind of stuff. Mm. And I was working a job at some point, I won't say what it was, but <laughs> in IT. Mm-hmm. And I had basically, I, I was lucky enough, I had done a few music uh, kind of projects and I had done like plenty of IT. And I was kind of got to the point where I'm like, look, I'm going to really try IT as like the career option because I think like I'm interested in tech and all this kind of stuff. And I really want to kind of, like, yes, that's not my passion in the follow your passion sense, but yeah. it's like, I think I could become passionate about it. Yeah, which um, is logical. That's a Which is logic. And it is something you can do. And like, what this particular one taught me though, was that I hit a point where the stress was so much that I was more stressed doing that job, having secure security of income and everything. Mm. More stress than I was when I didn't have security of income mm. and I was worrying about where my money was going to come from. Yeah. And when I hit that point, for me, that was like one of those life lessons where it's like, all right, my values are not in the security of income. Mm. My values are in the doing something that I feel is meaningful and kind of passionate about. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. It's only, and you know, university couldn't have taught me that. Mm. Um, only life experience <laughs> taught yeah. me that. So. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes you just got to try a thing and figure out that it's not the thing for you and that's okay. That's exactly, that's completely fine. Yeah, yeah. And it definitely wasn't a waste either. I've learned heaps from that. That I've, Yeah, that is interesting. Off that though, I think something that uh, didn't even have written down but I wanted to discuss is that whole follow your passion thing mm. because I think we've got a few kind of like leading narratives in our current gener- our current generation. Steph, right. do you agree with it? <laughs> <laughs> um, to a point, I do. I think I think that following your passion is really important and if you are really invested and interested in what you're doing, then you will very likely end up progressing in that career quite well. Mm. Um, and then, you know, earning money and, um, and respect from other people in that career and, and, and all that sort of thing will just come with it. In saying that, though, we do live in a capitalistic society (laughs) and sometimes you do have to prioritise other things first. Um, And it's just playing that, like, balancing game of how much can you prioritise earning money just to live versus following your passion. Yeah. And it's different for different people. Um, Some people get stuck in a rut on one thing and end up not earning enough money to live or the other way of stuck in a rut, earning money in a comfortable job and then not following their passion. Yep. Um, so it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's definitely like if it's something that you're really passionate about and you're wanting to, to follow that as a career, 
Um, but there's no like obvious way to do that, no like linear progression. Um, and the sorts of jobs that you get are kind of like few and far between and yep. it's hard to earn money doing that. Yep. It's one of those balancing acts, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I absolutely, a hundred percent. If someone's very passionate about something, go for it. But it's not easy. <laughs> and it doesn't have to be the only thing you're doing as well. Yeah. Um, you can, if you're fortunate enough to get several jobs in different areas, you know, that's always an option. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As well. Um, yeah. Just on um, the thing you said about, because we live in a capitalist society, so mm. this is what you have to do. Like, I agree with you. We mm. do, obviously. Um, you know, we can argue that, you know, Australia actually is, you know, not fully capitalist. We have a lot of kind of other things in place, fortunately, with um, safety nets that work, yeah. hopefully a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think there is also, it is also worth uh, questioning, and I'm not saying capitalism is wrong here, but it is also worth questioning how much income you need to kind of survive mm. because this is this is coming from me personally this is my own views yeah. <laughs> um, but i think that there is a danger of going we just live in a capitalist society so i just need a secure income mm. to live a happy life or to be secure mm. like again that's not wrong but you can kind of challenge some of those fundamental assumptions sometimes about like what you actually need yeah <laughs> to have kind of a fulfilling life or mm. a Safe knife, uh, safe knife, no. Safe knife. A, a safe life. <laughs> One of those fake knives. <laughs> One of those yeah. stage. Yeah, like they use in probably, movies yeah, where yeah. you push it and it retracts back in. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> sure. If that makes your life fulfilling, get one of those. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and I get. I mean, that's something that I'm kind of have found and am still exploring myself. Mm. Is you know what do I actually need? Because the the idea of career, and this might get very meta, but like even just the idea of career, I find is breaking down in my life as I <laughs> progress in my career. Yeah. Um, f for me personally, it's more a like um, you are, at least the way I try to do it is like you are getting better at certain skills or like your trade or several trades or whatever, mm. and people are getting to know you for those things. So yeah. it's almost like a marketing thing. Mm. Um, but like. I wouldn't call myself a career composer or a career musician. It's mm. more like that's something I really like creating. And if I find projects with people I like working with, like awesome, I want to do that. Mm. Uh, especially if like I'm passionate about kind of the outcome of that project, especially. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I also, you know, like I do podcasting. Mm. Um, I've like, I've done some teaching. I've done some IT. I've done all sorts of things. Yeah. And it's like almost like building your own internal <laughs> system mm. of like, different income streams and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know this is all over the place, but I th I think that's my point is like <laughs> yeah. the whole kind of concept of a single career, I think is getting fuzzier. Yeah. No, I definitely agree with that, especially if you're not going down the road of the the very clear cut, simple career progression, like doctor, um, lawyer, um, engineer type of thing. If you're yep. not going down that road, um, both you and I kind of want to get into more creative spheres. And yeah. so I think doing that you do kind of need to be and I think this is what I think it's called slashy culture slashy culture yeah of your like you know for you you're a podcaster oh slash right audio I've, I've heard people call it like a multi-hyphenate oh yeah that's probably the, <laughs> the better way to do it but <laughs> I only heard that recently I'm like yeah I'll, I'll learn that term I'll be cool <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the more professional way to call it though. oh really yeah <laughs> I've heard slashy from like slashy <laughs> people who are a bit more um 
comedians and that sort of a thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's not like Korea, single Korea people that are like, oh, those damn slashies. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Have no commitment. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't. And that's okay. <laughs> you need a jack of all trades, my guys. <laughs> yeah, there's there's cases for both of us. Specialists yeah. are very good as well there. Mm. Yeah, they, they go a lot further in those little areas. But yes. But then you need the kind of people who are across different things to be kind of the communication between the different specialists. Yeah. Well, it's actually, sorry, just kind of like on that note, it's interesting. Um, I went to a talk a little while ago from someone who was a project manager at NASA. Oh, yeah. It was very interesting because... That's that little startup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a small little company. No one's heard of it, really. Yeah, right. It's not like there's logos of it on, on okay. shirts. On everyone's clothes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, spaceships and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it was interesting hearing him talk about it as well because there were so many people who were very special, very highly specialised um, in their areas, um, but they didn't necessarily think about, you know, the logistics of the entire project itself. Yeah. Um, they were like, we need the best thing for this specific thing and we need the most up-to-date tech for this specific thing. Yeah. And then the guy who was project managing the whole thing was like, okay, but if we keep trying to get the best, the most up-to-date thing, this project will never end because yep. it's going to take like five, <laughs> ten years to build the thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just things like that that people don't necessarily consider and you definitely need people who... Do both. Yeah. I think that's the the point that I'm trying to get at is absolutely there are some careers where career progression and like very highly special, like specialized people is super important. Yeah. Yeah. Because things like doctors, things like engineers, people who work for NASA, um, you need the specialization because you can't really afford to have mistakes on the final, the yeah. final product, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, right. But in saying that, you definitely need the people who can communicate decently and who understand the basics of all the things and have their their toes dipped into all the different areas, you know, and kind of know what's happening and know how to cohesively bring it all together. Mm. Um, and so, you know, there are some people in your life, in my life, in people's lives who might think that career progression it should just be a linear thing that you should just stay in the same thing for a while it's an ideal yeah <laughs> and stability is nice but um it it's just and um, you tell me if you agree or not as well but I, I think it's something that sure it's not necessarily outdated it's still necessary yep but it's not uh it's not the only way yeah i think probably one important distinction to make as well is like when we talk about changing careers um it's almost implied when you say that you're starting again mm. but i think in reality my experience has been is it's never been starting from the start it's almost like again it's those like adjacent jumps kind of thing mm. where it's like if i'm doing music work uh for a video game i'm surrounded by programmers and artists and stuff like that so i'm actually getting exposed to all of those skills mm. um and so like if i wanted to go to programming now i already have like a bit of a head start, a bit of a leg up kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if I, I've done a lot of IT and like IT maintenance and kind of customer support and that stuff. Mm. You know, if I wanted to go and do psychology now, mm. like, yes, it's a very different field, but I now have the knowledge of customer support. I've now got knowledge or at least experience, experiential knowledge of 
how computers affect people, mm. um, which is, you know, not something you can ignore in modern society. Yeah. So it's like your experience in any one industry is not completely siloed and isolated either. Mm. So it's, uh, <laughs> someone said to me, it's like, yeah, you never have to start again unless you're going from like IT technician to crocodile farmer. Yeah. But to be honest, like even there in that example, you can use technology to help farm crocodiles. It's true. Yeah. Or, you know, you can use crocodiles to protect your computer if you go the other way. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> Actually, interesting thing that, interesting uh, that you mentioned that sort of a thing is uh, my um, my dad, who obviously very different generation. He mm. still, I think, he likes to think that linear progression in a single career is a good way to go. Mm. In saying that, though, it's very interesting you, you mentioned that because he started off doing medicine. Yep. Um, and did that for a few years, and then noped right out of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a technical term. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can Google that after. <laughs> um, but once he realized that wasn't what he wanted to do, he switched to electrical engineering, which is a fairly different area. Yep. It's probably not like the most different, probably not IT to, to crocodile farming, but <laughs> it's quite different. And then he finished his undergrad, but as part of that, obviously, when you're doing engineering, you have to do an honours um, honors year and a thesis. And he did his thesis on kind of like modelling electronic networks on neural networks. In oh, the brain. wow. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. is huge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so that I find that really fascinating still of even though he made that jump and that was, you know, what? I'm trying to do some really quick math right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to say 30 to thirty to 35 years ago. Yep. He made that jump. Yeah, well. He still did what exactly what we're discussing today. That's really interesting because mm. we're now seeing like the explosion of uh, neural networks and stuff in IT and... Um, if you've been playing with like the chat GPT mm. AI or like Dali or any of the other image generators mm. <laughs> and who knows by the time this episode's out there'll probably be something else amazing oh yeah so um, yeah. that's all based on neural networks and in the digital world so he's been doing this in electronics yeah phys physical electronics yeah yeah wow yeah it's very interesting far out yeah. I've like maybe because I'm a massive nerd I may or may not have read his thesis yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, we have to bring him on for an episode. That'd be cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he could go on about it for a long time. <laughs> That's right. That's an episode. <laughs> but you mentioned something uh, really interesting, which was about um, almost like your identity being tied to your idea of what your career was. Yeah. Um, and like I get that too, and which is interesting that we've talked about having such like broad and diverse careers and mm. then still both of us are like very like identity <laughs> yeah. career driven i think a lot of people are that way and so i don't think that's wrong at all um i think it can be a very powerful thing mm -hmm. that's like a driving force but being aware of like if you're feeling real crappy about <laughs> career decisions mm -hmm. like being aware that like is it because you feel like your identity is being attacked or like who you thought you were is changing or whatever yeah um so sometimes there's a kind of like that personal work that you got to do as well to kind of go with the career change yeah absolutely well if you think about it the even study to to get into a certain career but also working in that career afterwards it's like it's a good chunk of your life yeah. that you're spending doing it you know yep. so of course you you're gonna have at least part of your identity tied to it of yeah. course you're gonna feel very emotionally involved in it because you're just spending even just on the most basic level you're spending so much time yep. doing it you know yeah <laughs> and yeah. working towards it yeah so but and 
and realizing that there's a change or a shift in the way that you're you're thinking about it or the way that you feel about it can be something really hard to to come to terms with, I guess. Yeah. Well. Yeah, totally. That so. actually brings me to another point of um you still find that a lot of employers want you to have extracurricular experience as well. Yeah. Yep. Which is very interesting and kind of feeds into what we're we're talking about now. You get other experience by doing other things outside of like a specific degree. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, um, I think for some people that or some organizations, a lot of that's like culture fit as well, mm. which is that's probably a big thing that I was never taught at uni but have learned through life <laughs> um, is, you know, when someone's like looking for an employee, a lot of businesses are looking for someone to join their team. Mm. And that means not only being good at the skill, but it's being someone that's actually genuinely a pleasure to work with yeah, and who will like help boost company morale and feeling and stuff like that. Mm. And so you'll get this in a lot of job interviews and stuff. A lot of those questions that don't seem directly related to the job or like they're about values or like those kind of like abstract kind of things mm. is because they're trying to work out if, yeah, you will be someone that is nice to work with. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, you could be the best programmer in the world, but if you're like an absolute bad person <laughs> I'm trying, trying to find on swear words here <laughs> uh, an absolute bad person to mm. work with you might have your job for a little while but you probably won't get promoted and mm. you may even lose your job just because people don't like working with you mm, yeah <laughs> and then you're actively a detriment to the business as well because it brings down morale for everyone so yeah that's a good point or even just um not necessarily even being good or bad to work with or even being like a, a pleasure to work with but whether or not you're a good fit for the kinds of people in that workplace as well mm. is an interesting one too. Yeah. Of like, um, sometimes I've had I've had the honour, I suppose, the yeah. honour of being on a couple of interview panels for cool. different people. Very cool. And um, <laughs> it's it's very interesting to see what in what questions are important and why as well. Yeah. Of like, and and that someone could be really qualified in theory, um, but. And this isn't anything against a specific person, but just like the way that they talk about specific things, um, you know, what their priorities have been in the past of certain things, um, that could be no problem. Like yeah. com yep. completely fine for that person to have those priorities or that mindset about certain things. But from the perspective of the people who are looking for an employee, the employers yeah. or the interviewers, yep. um, though the answers to those questions will indicate whether or not that person would be a good fit yeah. for those the kinds of people in that workplace, yep. you know? Yep. Which is, again, nothing against that person. It's just, it's one of those things yeah. as well that I've had to learn over time of just like, sometimes you don't get the job that you interview well for yeah, because of things like that, of just the workplace itself might have made the decision that, someone else would fit in better with the culture, you know? Yeah. I had I, one of the places I was working, um, I wasn't on the interview panel, but they told me about it afterwards, looking for an IT person at a school. Mm. Um, someone came in for the interview and they're like, all right, what IT experience do you have? And they said, so you know those spam emails you get that are about marketing and all sorts of random things? Mm. I wrote the code for some of those. <laughs> they're like, oh, Awesome. Um, anyway, they didn't get the job, but that's like <laughs> one of those cases where like, yeah, look, cool. You've got the technical talent, mm -hmm. obviously, 
but like the very thing that you're doing, like morally is the antithesis of like, yeah. <laughs> like we have to compete with that spam every day and we have to actively filter it out. So yeah. no, you're not working for us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a very good point. Yeah. Interesting that he chose that as an example. Yeah. That's, mm. you know, uh, probably interview stuff 101 that uh, you've got to learn about the culture of the place that you're trying to apply for. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you pick and choose what you're going to say. So just on the note of interviews and the different ways that questions and the way that you answer can be perceived by interviewers and and colouring different experiences in certain ways, um, do you have any experiences or any sort of like advice in being interviewed or, yeah. or things that have worked or not worked? Or Yeah, um, this is something that I can say, but I think, again, life experience helps this a lot, mm. um, is... There's an idea that interviews are like they're the big boss and you have to answer all the questions correctly to mm. get the job. It's almost like a test. Mm. Um, but my experience and what's worked better for me is imagine that you're two different businesses who are trying to work out whether you work well together mm. or you can make like, it's almost like you're making a deal kind of thing, but not in like a let's get the best deal kind of thing, but it's like how does this work for both parties? Yeah, It's essentially a discussion of how does this work for both parties. Mm. And I think, like, not in a disrespectful way, lifting yourself up to that kind of equal level, mm. I think, especially in Australian culture, may not work for other cultures as well, but in Australian culture, I think that can be very effective because mm. you end up just having a conversation then about, you know, what's what's needed yeah. from the job. What, what relevant experience do you have? Mm. Uh, what does the business hiring value what is what are you looking for and what are your values and is that in line mm. you know they might ask about where you want to go in the future and if your if your own plans um, and like don't lie about this either but if, your own, <laughs> if your own plans are to go down this kind of career path um, and that matches up in part or in full with what their business is seeking, well, mm. awesome. Then they know that they're probably going to have you for a long time and then they can invest in you more yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. So, and then it'll work for them as well. So, yeah, it really is just a two parties coming together and kind of working out if it works together. Mm. Um, the danger, I think, is people going, um, what if what the business wants and my plan are like totally incompatible? Um, and again, I know like income is a real thing you need, but... Mm. If, if you come away from the interview feeling you've done all that and you feel like you're not compatible, well, it maybe is actually a good thing that you're not going for that job. Yeah. And it's not just a, like you didn't get the job, but it's actually a maybe you shouldn't accept the job as well kind of thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so so uh, I think just, yeah, having more experience uh, I've found and kind of coming to that kind of mindset and coming to interviews with that kind of almost comfortability that comes with that mm. has helped me a lot. Hi, it's Steph again. On the topic, the career services at the uni are a resource that you should absolutely look into. They provide feedback on resumes. They do workshops for interviews. They do mock interviews to help you figure out the best interview style for you and the best way for you to convey the things that you optimally would convey to a potential employer. Internship opportunities, uh, other workshops, not just interviews, all of the sort of stuff that we're talking about in this episode today that can really help boost your chances of getting the job that will suit you and that you'll actually enjoy. 
there at adelaide.edu.au forward slash student forward slash careers. We'll chuck that in the show notes. Check them out. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's particularly the point of not lying about certain things or, or playing certain things up or down in an interview. Yeah. Definitely communicate things yeah. <laughs> in an interview. Um, but on that note as well, there have been a couple of times where I've had an interview and the person has asked me just like how I work. Do I work yep. well under pressure? Do I work well super organized? Do I need to do things like in advance or do I do things like on the fly? Um, and in those situations, if I had said that I'm the most organized person on the planet yep. and I do things well in advance, it would not have been a good fit, <laughs> you know, because I am, I thrive in chaos and I like, I very much am just like, give me the most vague information and I can do something with it. Yeah. Um, don't necessarily need structure. And if I ended up working in a place yep. because I said I'm fine with structure and I'm fine with doing things, processes like months in advance and yep. having things well set out and then that was what they expected of me. Yep. would not go well, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, they would learn very quickly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you've everyone's time's wasted then. Exactly, know? yeah. So, which is funny because I'm the opposite. <laughs> I think I'm naturally more impulsive, but like for whatever reason, career-wise, I've become more structured and planning. <laughs> so all that stuff you just listed, <laughs> that, that to me is like almost an ideal environment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, whereas if it's like, there's no structure and it's just like, oh, yeah, you'll pick up the job and, mm. you know, whatever. We don't all have to kind of be communicating all the time. Like, to me, that that's like a toxic workplace for me. Kind of <laughs> yeah, <thing. laughs> yeah. So, which is, again, I think this illustrates the important point that, you know, it's like, it's not one shoe fits for everyone. It's yeah. like you're a party, you're coming to this other party to find out whether you resonate with each other. Mm. And maybe they are looking for something specific in that role as well. Yeah, that's like true. you could be a really organized person doing like trying to find like leads for uh, sales in a company, yep. right? Yep. And maybe they have someone else in that team who does that already, who's very yep. organized. So they work, they're looking for someone who's a little bit less on that, a little bit more impulsive, a little bit more sort of like rolls with the punches to sort of compliment the other person. Yep. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, um, it's interesting that it's not necessarily that they are looking for someone to even work well in a specific team or like a specific culture, yep. but like maybe they have something already and they just want something to complement that. Yeah. It's, yeah, there's just so many factors that you just kind of don't think of when you're doing the interview. Again, it's hard if you like need income and stuff. And yeah. like, sometimes you just need a job to kind of get, yeah. get that leg up in life. So it's not clear cut. But if you have the luxury of um, making that choice and <laughs> not being desperate, in other words, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it can go a long way. So, yeah. yeah. And to that point as well, it's interesting that you mentioned that companies are taking a risk in employing someone. Yeah. Um, and then, like, they want someone who someone else knows. Because I've known a couple of small businesses that will actually offer incentives to current employees who, like, uh, if if there's a job going in that company, yeah. <laughs> who say, oh, to a friend, oh, there's this job going, do you want to yeah. go and apply for it yep. type of thing. So, like, they actually offer incentives for someone who's a current employee to uh, recommend that that job or that person to that job or that job to that person. Yeah. 
Well, it's my understanding of Australian like employer laws is that it's very hard to fire someone. Mm. <laughs> you need like a lot of reason to do so and you need to have given several warnings and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So like if you just go in blind and don't know anything about the person and you hire them, mm. you can't just be like, oh, well, look, you know, we were wrong. This isn't going to work straight away. Like you can have that conversation. Maybe they'll leave for their own. But yeah, <laughs> from my understanding, it has to be like, you will have lost a fair bit of money and time by the time that you're able to kind of like fire someone. Yeah, exactly. So, so, and business, your business will take a significant hit in that time. So, Hi, it's me again. On the topic of Australian laws that stop employers from terminating employees super easily, uh, it is actually quite difficult because there's a lot of stipulation around making sure that the termination of, of employment is not unfair or unjust. So generally, there must be a valid reason from the employer to terminate that person's employment. Um, there has to be notification of the reason and then plenty of time for the employee to respond and actively work on whatever the issue was. If there were discussions about that dismissal, the employee have to be able to have the opportunity to have a support person present there. And that is pretty much the entire reason why Fair Work exists. If you want more information about this, uh, just check out fairwork.gov.au. They have plenty of information about what is fair, what is not, and there will be a link in the show notes. Mm. That doesn't mean though as well, like if you hire someone and it turns out they're slightly different to what you expected, there's often ways to work with them as well and yeah. it's definitely never that clear cut. But Yeah, absolutely. So, so I guess that's where, you know, nepotism is talked about as a bad thing. It is if a group of people have like the higher up over another group of people, I mm. think, which does unfortunately come with it and that should be combated through regulations and stuff. Yeah. Um, but, it is also a way of just knowing who you're hiring. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. Just like fundamentally people and humans are, are very social. Yeah. So if you just kind of at least have some kind of a pre-existing connection with someone that you're hiring and can make them or yeah. the employer feel a lot more com- confident in their choice. Yeah. Um, in saying all that though, um, if you're kind of like – nearing the end of your degree and you're kind of worried about that sort of a thing, um, the way to get around that is pretty much just like networking events, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Networking events are okay. <laughs> uh, I gotten probably my first big game, video game gig was through a networking event. Mm. But I think every industry is different in the kind of subculture of the industry Mm. again i think what helps is to approach it as not i'm trying to get a job from this but as i'm i just want to meet other people in the industry yeah and then down the track that might lead to opportunities it probably will lead to opportunities yeah it comes back it's similar to like the interview thing it's like if you go to a networking event and your goal is to get a job out of it you will probably be disappointed i think nine times out of ten (laughs) yeah that's actually a really good point because on the the flip side of that as well I've known some people who do that and they just like kind of want a job or want something out of a relationship that they're building. Yeah. And you can just tell. Yeah, it's got a bad stink to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like that that contract, that job that I got um, in video games was, I, funnily enough, that networking event, 
I was going to go with one of my best friends who's also in the industry. Mm. He dropped out last minute and I almost dropped out. Yeah. And then I went, oh, you know what? I should probably go. And then I was just like there and I was mingling with people. And it just so happens as I was talking to some people, they were a studio and they were looking for a composer for their game mm. because they had like stock music and people were like, oh, you should get a composer. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like I do music. And then we talked. And I think what we established there is that we actually got along. This comes back to the culture thing. Yeah. That we actually had a good time talking to each other. Yeah. <laughs> and at that point, they're like, oh, well, look, if you've got a like a, a showreel or like a portfolio, feel free to send it to us. Mm. And so I happened to, at that point in time, have one. And yeah. so I sent it to them after the event. Again, it's one of those things where it's like, in that showreel, they can see what I do, what I'm about. If it resonates with them, awesome. Mm. If it doesn't, well, then I'm probably going to have a bad time working with them anyway. But yeah. Fortunately, you know, it resonated and, you know, it was great. We had, we worked together for the next two years, kind of thing, while mm. that game was being developed. So networking events, they're like... <laughs> if, if you hate the people in the industry, you probably shouldn't be yeah, going true. to the events. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but yeah, that's actually a, a very good point that you've mentioned of just not going in there necessarily asking everyone for a job. <laughs> yeah. I guess it also comes down to thinking about what will help the other person remember you and want to employ you yeah. as well. Yeah. Of like, you're at a networking event. How many people have gone up to them and said, are you looking for X kind of a person? You know, what's what positions are you offering at the moment? And then it's kind of been like, oh, cool, I do this. What a great conversation. You know, like they're not going to remember that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like gonna, you and the 50 yeah. other graduates that are standing there in the corner. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's uh, I, like this definitely applies to creative industries. It's harder if you're a maybe doctor or something like that. But mm. I find one thing that's been really helpful is doing your own projects just because you want to be doing that kind of work. Yeah. Because then by the time you get to these networking events, you actually have experience and you've got something you can talk about. Mm. Um, and you know they might go oh like that's a cool idea that's actually similar to what we're doing in our project mm. and they're like and then that sparks the whole like oh we might be able to work together kind yeah. of thing so yeah I think that's a that is a really difficult thing in creative spaces though as yeah. well of needing physical proof of what you can and can't do and what your style is and that sort of a thing yeah um, and actually having the, the time and resources to do that yeah. as well yeah there's um something that you definitely have to consider and that also comes back to you know even if you are in like an industry of of engineering or something having the other like extracurricular yeah. experience as well mm. is that's kind of why people want that why employers want that because then they can see oh you were a president of the wine club yeah for a year you know it means you're really into like good wines and you're really good at like dealing with people in a managerial sort of position. So Yeah, totally. Yeah, there's totally. just like other things that they can pick up on based on that. So Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's probably worth saying like <laughs> looking back at everything we've talked about here. Um it's it can sound scary if you haven't experienced this stuff before. Mm. I think if you're going out into the world, it can sound like it's oh, it's so complex and there's too much to remember. Um but I I think, you know, having been in it for a while a little while myself, uh, it's actually exciting. It's just, you just expect that it'll take time to get experience. Yeah. <laughs> and that slow kind of accrual of experience that opens up new doors and stuff like that. Yeah. And keeping an open mind about what it, what it's like as well. Of yeah. Like if it doesn't, if getting a job or finding a career in a certain area doesn't quite 
meet your expectations or you don't quite get the job that you were looking for. That doesn't mean to say that something close um, is a bad fit or a bad idea. Mm. Um, just, you know, if you're leaving uni and you find a job in somewhere that's sort of similar to what you're thinking but you had a, a different idea of where you were going to go, just go for it. Like, yeah. <laughs> keep an open mind and try things. Yeah. Yeah. You never know where it could lead 